0: Who is it that God wants to use us to seek and to save? Because throughout this series, we're, we're, we're zeroing in on the passion of the Christ, but it, the hope is that by beholding his passion, we would begin to reflect the same. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Yeah? Because the passion of the Christ is not just for him to sense. It's not just for him to act on. It's, it's for his church to sense. It's for his church to act upon. And if that's his overmastering desire, it ought to be our overmastering desire too. And so, you've got your bookmarks. If you don't have one, go ahead and raise your hands. We've got, we've got a few deacons here who are, who are willing to fill your hands with them. We've got hands up on both sides here. We've got, raise them high. Raise them high. We've got a few deacons. Larry. All right, thanks. By the way, it's good to see those of you who are back from college uh, visiting with us. Happy Sabbath to you all. <laughs> All right, again, keep your hands up, and so the question this morning that we want to start with is, who is the one? Maybe there's more than one, but right now in our bookmarks, we're looking for one name that God is placing on your heart and on my heart to seek and to save throughout this week. Here, you can have mine right here, <laughs> So if you don't have a pen, if you don't have a pencil, go ahead and find one. Uh, Maybe bug your neighbor for one, or there's one in the pew. But go ahead and just take a moment, if you haven't already, go ahead and write a name of someone that you are going to seek and save this week. Now, I might say that, and in your mind, your thoughts are, how am I supposed to seek and save this one? How am I supposed to do that? Well, on the bookmark, there are simple instructions, if you haven't read them already. What's happening is that throughout North America, The Adventist churches throughout North America are encouraging each individual member to take simple but very intentional steps to reach out to those that God has put a burden on our hearts. And so on Sunday, you see the instructions there. On Sunday, the simple instruction is to find someone that you can pray with and encourage each other and simply pray that God would open up doors together. All right, let me read you something that I just read uh, actually last week. This is a little book that I've gotten on my nightstand called Gospel Workers. And let me just read this to you from page 65. It says this, In times past, there were those who fastened their minds upon one soul after another, saying, Lord, help me to save this soul. Wow. Do you know what that kind of passion is like? Where you just can't sleep at night, and you're just praying, crying out to God, Lord, help me to save this one soul. She says, in times past, there were those who prayed that way. But now such instances are rare. How many act as if they realize the peril of sinners? How many take those whom they know to be in peril, presenting them to God in prayer and supplicating him to save them? Friends, I want to be one of those. (laughs) I want to be one of those who intentionally prays for one who is lost. Pleading with God, Not letting him go until he blesses us. And asking him to simply use me. Use anything and use me to seek and save that person. So, if you haven't already, go ahead and put put a name of someone that you want to pray for. That's the first step. The second step is this. To think of someone that can be your prayer partner throughout the week. On Sunday, tomorrow, you're going to call each other. Or maybe you want to connect in person. But it's simply connecting over the phone or in person to pray with each other and ask that God would open up doors for you to reach out to your friends or to your family, whoever it is that you've put on that that card. On Monday and Tuesday, you're going to look for God's answers. On Monday and Tuesday, the instructions there on the bookmark, look for an opportunity to connect with that person socially. So that person, that family member, maybe it's your brother, maybe it's your cousin, or maybe it's someone uh, that, that used to sit in these pews with you. Whoever it is, whether they're far or whether they're in-house, so to speak, um, Monday and Tuesday, you're going to look for God's answers to your prayers and look for ways to connect socially with them, okay? And then on Wednesday, you'll call up your prayer partner once again. Encourage one another to share how things happened, how things didn't happen as you hoped. Uh, whatever it might be, but just pray with with each other, encourage one another, and again, pray that God would open up opportunities. And then, Thursday and Friday of this week, you're looking for opportunities again, but this time, you're looking for doors to connect with them, not just socially, but spiritually. Does this make sense? Yes or no? Yeah? Very simple, right? I mean, it's not like we're, we're, uh, you know, uh, sending you out to do an evangelistic series, it's not, <laughs> it's not like we're sending you out door-to-door. But what we're trying to do is create simple but intentional steps that we can be asking God, looking for the, the opportunities that he's placing in front of us, okay? So Monday, I mean, excuse me, Wednesday and Thursday, excuse me, oh boy, bleh, okay, <laughs> Thursday and Friday, we're looking for opportunities to connect spiritually. Now some of you may not exactly know how you're going to do that, but here's what um A simple suggestion, we've got several of these books, hopefully enough for each one of us to actually take um, out these doors. So when we leave today, we're going to have a deacon or two standing by the door. This book is called The Passion of Love, printed by Amazing Facts. It's actually the last 13 chapters of Desire of Ages. This week, people are thinking about the sacrifice of Christ. This week, all this week, they're thinking about what Jesus did for them and what it really means for them personally. So why not take the opportunity? Give them a simple book a beautifully written book, an inspired book that demonstrates the glory of the cross and what that means for me and you. So if you're looking for something to do on Thursday and Friday for that friend or family member that you're trying to reach out to, hey, this is a perfect opportunity. This is a perfect opportunity. So it it may not be this. It may be something as simple as sending them a card with a simple scripture that says, you know, this is God's promise for you. Or maybe it's something as little as a glow track. Doris, you know, you've talked to me about how you distribute your glow tracks and stuff. Whatever it is, look for a way that God would appoint for you to connect with that person spiritually. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take time right now just to pray with the person next to us. Or maybe it's a prayer partner that you already know you want to pray with throughout the week, okay? But we're going to take the next three to five minutes to pray with one or two other people. So maybe you're not sitting next to somebody. Go ahead and and shift your your seats around, whatever it is, but just just get into groups of two or three and lift up a simple prayer. You may want to mention the name specifically that you want to pray for. Okay, now go ahead and start looking around. Who am I going to pray with? Who am I going to pray with? We're going to just take a few minutes to pray and really seek that God would use us to bless these people. Go ahead, take a few minutes and we'll we'll transition into our message. Whisper a prayer in the morning Whisper a prayer at noon Whisper a prayer in the evening To keep your heart in tune God answers prayer. God answers prayer in the morning, God answers prayer at noon, God answers prayer in the evening, so keep your heart in tune. Father in heaven, You've heard the names that are on our hearts. You've, um, you've seen since eternity past that this week, March 24 to 30, 2013, we were going to be in a position to bless this soul and to reach to that soul. God, in your infinite wisdom, you've designed for us to be a part of your redemptive plan. Lord, angels could easily do this much better than us, but for some reason, you need humanity to reach humanity. And so we're just offering ourselves as feeble, frail instruments. But we know you can do it, because if you can speak through donkeys, you can speak through us. Lord, we're praying for miracles. We are praying for miracles. Maybe there are some of us who are just visiting here for the first time. But Lord, you've brought them here for a reason. Maybe there's one or two or three that you want to reach through them intentionally. And so God, whatever your plan and purpose is, we ask that your will be done. And may, as a result of your will being done, may your kingdom come sooner. And now as we get into your word, we give you permission to open up our hearts. We give you permission to... to to enliven our eyes and our intellect that we might see not just new information but something that results in transformation of our hearts today. This is our sincere desire. Please speak to us. We pray in Christ's name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen. We're gonna see miracles. I believe it. I really do believe it. I'm not just, you know, this isn't just wishful thinking. Oh, I hope. No, no, no. This is, I pray, and I'm praying to a living God who who gives us living answers. Seven Days of Miracles. Next Sabbath, 13th Sabbath, is going to be a special one. We're going to have, you know, our special 13th Sabbath school program. We're going to have our communion service. And we're going to have a baptismal service. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So... And if there's someone who just wants to jump in who hasn't told me that they want to jump in the waters, please let me know. (laughs) And we'll get you ready. We'll get you ready. But no, next Sabbath is going to be a special Sabbath. We're actually going to take special time next week to, to share what has happened throughout the seven days. Maybe, you know, maybe someone saw a direct answer to prayer. Maybe someone actually connected with someone that they didn't think was possible. Or maybe the book was well received in a way that you didn't think was going to happen. We want to hear stories of how God has worked miracles in your lives. So next Sabbath, we're going to take a little bit of time. So expect that, okay? So you've got the instructions uh, on your bookmark. Refer to them. There's actually a website, www7 And each day, it will give you ideas. If you're looking for ideas uh, to connect socially, or if you're looking for ideas to connect spiritually, it'll give you ideas on that site. At least I'm told. All right. We're going to get into the Word, Luke chapter 15. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it there. If you've got a smartphone, and that's how you do it, whatever it is, go ahead and open the Word of God. Luke chapter 15. It's a familiar story. We've heard it before. If you haven't heard it before today, you heard it while Harold read it for Scripture. It's the third of those parables. Remember, Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. People are drawn to Him because of His love, because of His grace, because of the things that He's saying. It's transforming their lives. These tax collectors and sinners are drawn to him like a magnet. And there are Pharisees and scribes who could care less. You remember the scene, right? The opening verses of Luke chapter 15. The Pharisees and scribes are muttering. They're complaining. "Ah, How could Jesus do this? They, in their self-righteousness, are offended that Jesus would seek the lost. And so Jesus tells them three parables parable of the lost sheep. The parable of the lost coin. And now, the parable of, what do you know it as? The prodigal son. The parable of the lost son. The parable of the prodigal son. And it begins in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. I don't know if you can hear this, but this is a very, very rude son, to say the least. <laughs> now, inheritance was given, estate was given when someone passed away, when someone died. And this son is saying, hey, I want it now. In other words, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. <laughs> Some of us are laughing, but what? I mean, what would you do if you heard your son, your daughter, say this to you? Go ahead and sit and think. Have time out. <laughs> Whatever. And so, you know, in a, especially in the ancient Near East, this was unheard of. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 21 actually gives instructions about a rebellious son. When a rebellious son goes up to his father and mother and starts treating them this way, that rebellious son is supposed to be stoned. Okay, this is serious business. This would offend the listeners. What? The father actually went along with it? He actually divided up the estate some to his younger and some to his older son. Now here's the thing. The older son would get twice as much as the younger. So, so really, if you've got 100%, a third goes to the younger son and two-thirds to the older son. We don't often think about that, but the older son actually got his share too. Hmm. The story continues. Not long, verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. And I'm reading from the NIV and it says, he set off for a distant country And there squandered his wealth in wild living. Wild living. See, this first part of the story, it focuses on the younger son's journey. And the younger son, it's marked by two different kinds of direction. The direction away from home, and the direction what? Back home. Okay, so first, he's got two movements away from home. First, he goes to a distant country and starts living with reckless abandon, as if he is number one and there's no one else concerned. He's not thinking about establishing, um, you know, his own equity. He's not thinking about possibly having kids in the future and making sure that they have a secure future. No, he's just thinking about me, myself, and I. And he's living like there's no tomorrow. He squanders it. He wastes it in wild living. Verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And this is how the NIV puts it. And he began to be in need. He began to be in need. In other words, that was the first time he had ever felt want. He never felt want in his father's house. But now that he's living like there's no tomorrow, now that he's living just for himself, he's beginning to feel need. You see, on the son's journey, we have, uh, it's the two-fold tragedy of sin. <laughs> The, tragedy, the first tragedy of sin is that we think the grass is greener on the other side. Sin does that to us. There's a delusion there that, that it, it enchants us, it charms us, and we think we're, we're having the thrill of our lives when in reality it leaves us spent and empty. And that's when we feel our need. That's the deceptiveness of sin. You remember Jeremiah 17, verse 9? Our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Deceitful above all things. It tricks us. It tricks us. The grass is not greener outside the Father's presence. And so that's tragedy number one. Tragedy of sin is that it deludes us. But here's the second movement away from home. Notice what happens. When he begins to feel his need, where does he go? What direction does he go? He still keeps going away. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, some of us may have fond memories of pigs that we've raised or something like that. I don't know, maybe you were in 4-H or something and you've got cute little piggies running around. I don't know (laughs) what your experience is, but for a Jewish audience who's hearing this, what? Feeding pigs? That's like as low as you could possibly go. He's hired himself out to somebody, that's bad number one, but now he's feeding pigs, swine, untouchable, unclean animals. This is, this is unbearable for, for his audience, for Jesus' audience, as, he's, as they're hearing this story. And here's the second tragedy of sin. Well, first tragedy, you know, he's moving away from home. Grass is greener on the other side, but it really just leaves us empty. The second tragedy is this. Sin, for some reason, we think that we can actually do something about it when the son begins to feel his need, he doesn't go back home and say, Dad, I need some help. No, he he says, I got this. I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps. And he gets into an even worse predicament. That's what sin does. Sin, Sin deludes us into thinking that it's better than what we had in the Father's presence. And it deludes us into thinking that we can actually do something to fix it. But the story tells us, no, 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 no. It just gets worse. Do we understand that about sin today? That really there's nothing you and I can do about it. There's nothing you and I can fix ourselves. There's nothing you and I can adjust. And the more we try, the deeper the hole gets. And so the story goes. Verse 15, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Mm. This is a complete turnaround. Here he started at his father's house where his father gave him everything. And now no one's giving him a cent. No one's giving him a dime. Yes, he's in want. He's in need. And no one gave him anything. Just tuck that phrase uh, in in a shelf in your mind. Gave him. No one gave him anything. Tuck that away. Because it'll come up at the end of the story. But here it is. The the son has come to his wit's end. And finally, he's not just moving away. Now let's notice the direction he moves in verse 17. When he came to his senses. (laughs) The first step back, he actually comes to himself. Maybe you're reading in the New King James. He came to himself. NIV says he came to his senses. In other words, the light bulb turned on in his mind. And what was that light bulb? He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. And go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your what? Hired. One of your hired servants. I haven't been acting like a son. It's true. I've been that rebellious son that should have been stoned. But would you please just have mercy on me and just, don't, you don't even have to call me a son anymore. Just make me one of your hired servants. One of your hired men. Now, now the term, the technical term, hired men there, it's, it's really actually distinct. Because, you know, in that culture, they had servants. They had slaves. But here's the thing. Uh, masters of those servants and slaves, they actually uh, took them in as part of their family. They, they provided for them in their household. They, they housed them. They had them on their properties. But here, the son isn't asking to be one of those. He's asking to be a hired servant. That's one of those day workers, so that there's no obligation to provide for this person anymore. So he's saying, no, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not requesting to actually live on your property. Uh, I'm not even requesting that you give me food from your table. I'm just, I'm just wanting to be one of those that you just take in on a day-by-day basis. No obligations, no contract, you know, month-to-month, whatever. <laughs> and he's, he's really asking for the lowest of the low position. But he knows that his father is good. And even those hired servants are treated well. So here's the son at his wits end. He's been going, going, going away, and now finally he's coming, coming to his senses. And he realizes, I need to change direction. You know the theological term for changing direction? It's repentance. Did you know that? <laughs> repentance. It simply means a U-turn. So here's the son. He's going away, going away, going away, and now he's coming. <laughs> And it starts by coming to himself. And the reality is this, the reality about the gospel is this, that even repentance, even that U-turn, it's a gift of God. Did you notice where the repentance was triggered? It was on a reflection of how good the Father is. Have you heard Romans 2-4, that the goodness of God leads us to repentance? We can't work out repentance even in our own hearts. That's not possible. But when the light bulb turns on that God really is who he says he is. That the love of God is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's when repentance can happen. Wow. Even repentance is a gift of God. And so the story continues. What does he do? What does he do? So he practices his speech, right? And by, by, by the time we come to verse 20, it says, so he got up and went. Here's that final movement, home. So he got up and went to his father. And I love it. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, what does your Bible say? Compassion. Do you know that the Greek word there, compassion, it's talking about your kidneys. It's saying that your kidneys are moved. That on a very internal level, your very core, your very being is just, oh, I feel for this person. And that's what the father feels for his son. He sees him a long way off. A long way off. He knows him in his distant, alien, alienated, uh, foreign feeling. And he, he, he sees him. Tattered clothes and all. Mud stains from head to toe from feeding the pigs. I don't know. And he recognizes his son. He recognizes how he walks. And he's like, no, 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 no. no. This can't be. And so he makes up the distance. And he runs. Do you realize that grace runs to you? Think about that. Again, just kind of imagining yourself in that ancient Near Eastern culture, you know, it's a patriarchal society. Fathers of the household are everything, you know, they're they're like the chief, you know, big, big cheese, whatever. And those kind of dignitaries, can you imagine how they walk? You know, like, they're all that, you know. (laughs) But to think of them running, that was unimaginable. And here the father is. Concerned about no one else's thoughts, concerned about nothing of humiliation or risking his reputation to the community that might see him running, whatever. He has no concern for that because his ultimate concern is to seek and save the lost. The The passion of the Christ. And when he finds him, he runs hard. It says in verse 20, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Mud stains, pig stench, everything. He ran, embraced, and kissed him. Notice what else. The son said to him, this is the speech that he's practiced, right? The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. You know, I I don't know what kind of posture he's taking. I don't know if he's just begging at this point. I don't know if he's sobbing and trying to get the words out between sobs. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father interrupts him. He was about to get to that hired servant phrase, but the father interrupts him. The father said to his servants, Quick! Verse 22. Bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. <laughs> the best robe, a ring, sandals. These are all things not given to a servant, but given to a son. <laughs> the best robe. That was probably his own robe. Probably the robe that he wore on festi- uh, you know, festive... Uh, Festivals and ceremonial occasions. He says, no, 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 give him not just any robe, give him my robe, my robe. Give him a ring that signifies that he has my authority, that that he's actually got the right to be my child again. Give him sandals, because servants didn't wear sandals. The sons did. Make him my son. I'm not just taking you in as a slave, I'm taking you in as my son. That's the passion of the Christ, to restore us to sonship, to restore us to daughtership. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, but if any man receives him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Some versions say, to them he gave the power to become children of God, born not of the will of man, nor the will of flesh, but born of God. Rebirth. And here he is. It's a new son Raised from the dead. Notice this. He goes on, verse 23 bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now you realize that this whole time that we've been talking about a lost sheep and a lost coin, we're not just talking about something that's geographically lost, something that's out of place. No, we're talking about something that is dying. Something that is perishing. And now, there's a resurrection. What? The dead has come to life. The end of verse 24. So, they began to celebrate. (laughs) Now, you know, this is pretty radical. The community, no doubt, has full knowledge of what this son has done to his father. The slap in the face that he's given to his father. The community, no doubt fully recognizes that this individual should be completely cut off from the family and from the village. But here, the father, before anyone else can can run and just run him out of town, he runs to him and and brings him back home. Before anybody else can, can bicker, before anybody else can submit a formal complaint, I don't know, before anybody else can do anything, he demands, no, 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 we've got to celebrate. And so they do. It says they, they killed the fattened calf. And uh, in a day of you know, no refrigeration where meat couldn't be preserved for more than a day or so, that, mean, that meant that if they're going to have that big of a feast, everybody's got to be eating. So it wasn't just he and a couple other servants who saw the whole ordeal. No, no, no. It was he and the whole town. Everybody's got to join in. Why? Because this person was dead and now is alive. What in the world? That's the passion of the Christ. And so far, this story is beautiful. It matches up so well with the parable of the lost sheep, you know? The shepherd, he finds his lost sheep, and all his friends and neighbors come and rejoice with me. The woman, she finds her lost coin, and all her girlfriends, all those girls at the parlor, you know, whatever, they all come and celebrate with her when they find it. So far, this matches up really, really well. But now comes the note Of discord. Verse twenty-five. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Notice he didn't go to the house. He stopped short of the house and sent somebody and said, "Hey, hey, hey! What's all this mess about?" (laughs) Verse twenty-seven. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, how did the older brother respond? The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> okay, so just visually, older son recognizes the situation. He's been home this whole time but now he's the one not coming home. And so his father went out. Just as the father ran to restore the younger son, now the father has to run to restore his older son. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, no formal uh, address, no my father, this is how I think about things. <laughs> no, my Lord, let's, let's, let's talk about this properly. No, he says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders. Do you notice something skewed about his perspective of the relationships within the home? He's been home all this time, but he's related to his father as a master. Did you catch it? He's, he says, I've been slaving for you. I've been serving as a hired servant. I, he doesn't think of himself as a son. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Now this is, this is probably the punchline. Okay, This is the punchline of the entire parable. What is the older brother thinking? (laughs) What is the older brother thinking? First of all, he's obviously not relating to his father as a father and son. He's relating to him as boss and employee, master, servant. And there's something wrong with that. Because when he's relating as master and servant, he's thinking about what I earn and what my wages are. In other words, he's thinking about what he deserves, what he merits, and what his reward should or shouldn't be. And if he's relating to the Father in this way, if he's saying, look, I've done this, so I get that. I've done this, so I get that. Then he applies it to the other relationships. He did that, so he should get something else. Do you understand? So that's why he's offended. Hey, 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 this system I- isn't right. Look, he's... What, what. There's something skewed about his relationship with the Father. In fact, he doesn't see him as a father at all. And there's something skewed about his understanding of the Father's blessings. I obtain the benefits when I do this, this, this. A, B, C, I get, I get X, Y, Z. It's called meritocracy. <laughs> it's a reward, a quid pro quo, this for that. <laughs> Friends, is that how we relate to God? <laughs> Let me ask again, is that? How we relate to God? Sometimes that's how it is, isn't it? The Pharisees, that's how it was. But for us today, if we were to be utterly honest, we resonate really well with the older brother. God has seemed more like my boss than my father. And here, as I've been studying this story, I, I realized that it wasn't just the younger son that needed repentance. It wasn't just the younger son that needed a U-turn in his life. The older son needed repentance too. He needed to repent of that skewed picture of the father. To turn away from that and say, no, 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 no. no. He's not someone I work for, and thus I get this out of it. He's not, you know, the eternal candy machine. He's not that Santa Claus that if I'm naughty or nice, I don't get this or that. No, 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 no. That's not how God is. He's our Father. And His benefits to us are not reward-centered, but relationship-centered. Notice what the Father does. Notice how the Father responds. Okay, let's finish out. Verse 29. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You you never gave me even a young goat. Okay, that would have been a small meal. Okay, fattened calf, big meal. Young goat, small meal. You never even gave me a young goat. Did you notice that? You never gave me? He feels like he's never gotten anything either. Remember when the younger son, he had been in that swine pit, whatever, feeding the pigs, and no one gave him anything? And now here, the older son feels like he's never gotten anything. But when this son... Okay, verse 30. But when this son of yours... Ugh. Doesn't even call him his brother. Totally disowns him. Hey, this son of yours. He's not... But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Blah. Verse 31, the Bible continues. Now notice the father's response. What are the first two words that come out of his mouth? At least in the NIV it says this, my son. In the NIV it says, my son. Dear son. Maybe yours just says son. The word is, in Greek it's technon, it means child. I don't know if you're sensing the the drama of this. The the older son, he he feels like, come on, boss. What do you think you're doing? You have no idea how to run the business here. Look, I've been doing this. I should get that. And the father says, child, you're not my servant. You're my son. Let's think about this. My son, the father said. You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Remember at the beginning of the story, he actually divided up his estate. Some to the younger son, and actually everything else was for the older son. All that they had in the household was his. And here he feels like he's never gotten anything That's like going hungry at an all-you-can-eat buffet. (laughs) Or maybe going hungry at Costco. You know, I don't know. Anyway, I know, Friday afternoon grazing. Anyways, but when this son of yours, I'm sorry, verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. So the father sets things right. Look, there's a relationship here, not a reward. We operate based on relationship in this house. Glory to God. And everything I have is yours, whether you've worked for it or not, it's because of the relationship. Praise the Lord Jesus. Glory to God. In verse 32, but we had to celebrate. I love it. We had to celebrate. Maybe your version says, it was right for us. It was necessary. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, He reminds him of that relationship too. Look, you're my child. He's your brother. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And how? How does the story end? It leaves it totally wide open so that the story could finish with us. How did the Pharisees respond to that parable? We have... Only an inkling that they totally refused it. But it was still, the ball was still in their court to do something. Are we going to go back and actually celebrate with this brother of mine? And the question is with us too. Let me read you a few lines from Christ's Object Lessons page 210 to 211, it says this, when you see yourselves as sinners saved only by the love of your Father, you will have tender pity for others who are suffering in sin. Did you catch the condition there? When you see yourselves as sinners in need of the Father's love, then you will have tender pity for other sinners too. Notice the converse. When you don't see yourself as a sinner in need of love, Guess what, you, uh, what else you won't have? A tender pity for those who suffer in sin. She continues, You will no longer meet misery and repentance with jealousy and censure. When the ice of selfishness is melted from your hearts, you will be in sympathy with God and will share his joy in saving the lost. Friends, I want that ice to be melted. It is true that you claim to be a child of God, but if this claim be true, it is thy brother that was dead and is alive again. It was your brother who was lost and is found. He or she, that repentant sinner, that low life that you think ought to be somewhere else. It is he that has bound to you by the closest of ties. For God recognizes him or her as a son or daughter. Now notice this last line. This is harsh. Deny your relationship to him, and you show that you are but a hireling in the household, not a child in the family of God. Oh, Lord, have mercy. (laughs) When the lost are found, when the prodigal comes home, How do you and I respond? You know, we can talk about seeking and saving the lost. We can talk about going afar upon the mountains. We can talk about scouring just right in-house, making sure that nobody slips through the cracks. But when we do bring them home, how will we actually receive them when they're here? And that's the point of the third parable. Will we celebrate with joy? And if we have a hard time with that, if we have a hard time seeing people who are different, if we have a hard time seeing people who are quote-unquote dirty, if we have a hard time with that, then maybe we need to check that we're not working for a boss. (laughs) We're related to our father. And if that is the case, then that sinner over there is my brother. I, it was right for God to celebrate and it has to be right for me to celebrate. Amen. You know, we, earlier we were, you had those bookmarks. You wrote down the name that you want to seek and save, And I want you to imagine bringing that person to the Parkwood Church family. How eager or uneager would you be to bring them here? I pray that we would be eager <laughs> because we would cultivate uh, an environment, a climate of warmth and acceptance of joy over finding the loss. But if you're in your heart of hearts, you realize that there's a little bit of hesitation. <laughs> Maybe there's something a dynamic a reality that you're not quite sure you want to expose your friend or family member to here. Is that a sobering question? I I hope that's not the reality, but if it is the reality, if there is something that holds us back from actually bringing the lost or the found home here, then maybe we need to check that. Parkwood Church, what kind of home will we be? Will we celebrate when the lost come home? Will we find joy in the very fact that they're here, Amen. Amen. now the Pharisees remember. The Pharisees were more about preserving their self-identity, remaining uh, uh, separate from sinners, rather than seeking sinners. They they had this thing that they needed to preserve their sense of holiness, right, their boundaries. And look, I'm not talking I'm not talking about condoning sin and saying that there's no sin. I'm not talking about just like, oh, that never happened. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, we need to deal with sin, but we need to deal with it as family. Does that make sense? We need to do it with a tenderness and a pity that recognizes, look, I'm a sinner too and we can walk this road together. And so we can seek and save. But, friends, when we bring sinners to a hospital, they should feel at home. <laughs> we, we, that, that would be ridiculous if a sick patient thought to him or herself, I better get myself better before I go to the hospital. <laughs> but sometimes the way we relate with each other makes people feel that way. I pray that wouldn't be so anymore. I pray that wouldn't be so. Friends, I want us to be a church family that seeks, goes afar. I want us to be a church family that scours and makes sure that no one here is missing. And ultimately, when they come home, I want us to be a church family that celebrates over dead coming to life. Are you with me? Yeah? (laughs) Friends, that's the passion of the Christ and that ought to be the passion of his church. And that's, you know, that's easier said than done. It's not something like we flip a switch and suddenly, okay, we're a warm family. Okay, there's no self-righteousness here. No, the ice of self-righteousness needs to melt. And it melts by coming into the presence of the God who is our Father. The one who loves us with an unconditional love. The one who loves the others with an unconditional love. So we've talked about it this month, the passion of the Christ, you know, to seek sheep who are far, to scour for for those who need to be reclaimed in-house, and now to have a, a climate of such at home that when they come, there's celebration and joy. That's the passion of the Christ, and I pray that would be the passion of his church. Some of us are, you know, maybe we're thinking through our history. You know, I'm I'm the newbie around here, okay? Uh, It's like been three, four months around here, so I'm, I'm still getting to know this church family. As far as I know, this is the most amazingly welcoming church family that my family and I could be a part of, okay? Some of us may review years and years of history with this church congregation, with this community of faith, and maybe there are things that need repentance from. Maybe there are things we need to bring before God and just say, Lord, please forgive us. For the ways maybe we have turned others away. We need to come before and just be honest with them saying, Lord, we've messed up. And maybe, you know, the tendency is easy to say, "Ah, oh, it's because of this or it's because of that. But friends, rather than pointing out others, would we just take ownership ourselves and just say, look, the climate of the Parkwood Church family, uh, the way we celebrate, the way we do or do not rejoice over sinners, that's up to me. That's up to me. That's up to you. That's up to all of us. And so today, you know, the story of the two sons, both of them needed repentance. And so where do you find yourself in this story? Maybe there are some of us who have really resonated with the younger son, who thought sin was all that, who thought that the grass was greener on the other side and just kept going and kept going until you've really just dug yourself into a hole you can't get out of. Now you're feeling your need. Friend, come home. Come home. Because when you come, you're not just going to be a hired servant, day to day, month to month, no contract. No, you're going to be a son and daughter of the living God. Maybe you're an older son. And even though you've stayed in house, you've been far from the father because of the way you viewed him as your boss rather than your, your father. Maybe because y- you've been working on a merit-based relationship with him. It's, it's about the things that I get out of this, not the relationship that secures all of this. And so if that's you, then, then the father is coming out to you too and saying, come home. Come home. Today I want us to pray. And I'm going to open up just a little bit of silence where you can repent and just let God know, look, turn me around. Whether you're in the shoes of the younger son, whether you're in the shoes of the older son, turn me around. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you for the truth of the gospel. That when we come to you, we can behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us. God, I pray that this morning, this, this time, as we've gathered here, that our hearts and ears would be wide open to hear you say, child, son, daughter. Jesus, I thank you for running out to me. Thank you for running out to each one of us. And no matter what the condition of our repentance, God, you know it. But right now, we just want to have time to lift up a silent prayer to you and give you the green light to turn us around. So go ahead and just lift up your hearts in silent prayer to God. Oh, Father, please bring us home. God, please make us the kind of community, make us the kind of family that has to celebrate, that has to rejoice when the lost are found, when the dead come alive. Oh, God, please, here at Parkwood Church, would we please, experience the power, the transforming power of the gospel in our lives as individuals and is our, in our lives as a corporate community of faith, would we please, please transform us that we would be the kind of community that is passionate about the things you are passionate about. As, as the found come home, God, may they find a place here that they can be restored to being sons and daughters of the Most High God. Give us the grace. Give us the, the compassion to walk with people on that journey, to walk with each other on that journey. And so, Lord, take our honest confession of our past failures. Take our honest confession of our present tendencies. And, Lord, make us new. Thank you so much, Jesus, for being passionate about us. Please use us to live out your passion for others this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, let the families say, Amen. amen.